Well, I hope everybody's doing well this morning. Uh, certainly our uh, thoughts and prayers are with Judy, and I uh, pray for God to take care of her. Uh, this morning, we're talking about being content. But it's the be content now application. You know, I mean, what, what kind of app would sell on a phone that did what you wanted it to do 10 years from now? Okay, I have a need, and 10 years from now, this will accomplish that. I don't think that app would sell very well. You know, it reminds me of the person that said, Hey, Ron, you know, I know Bailey, your puppy, you know, is young, and she's got a lot of energy, but don't worry, she'll only stay that way for two years. You know, if somebody said, hey, you're going to be content 10 years from now, would that be good news? You're like, oh, gosh, 10 more years of slugging it out before I can arrive at being content? No, that's not what we want. We want to be content. Here's the mic. There. We got it now. All right, that's awesome. I want the mic on now. There we go. It's awesome. We got good sound guys. Want want you to think of some of these people in the Bible that had this problem. Eve. Achan. Judas. Esau, the older son. You know, the younger was the prodigal son. You know, all these people had one thing in common. They weren't content with what they had. Eve, she wanted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Achan had to have, you know, the silver and the gold and the fine robes. Judas wanted the 30 pieces of silver. Esau was hungry and wanted the bowl of stew. The older son said, all these years I've slaved for you and you never gave me anything to celebrate. You know, they had heart issues. They had, they had problems. Why? Because they struggle with the same thing you and I do. We want to be content. Wouldn't that be great to wake up every morning and go, I am so satisfied. I just don't feel like there's more that I need. I'm happy with what I have. You know, I appreciated what Dan shared uh, about his communion and his life and the impact the cross had had. And, and I remember uh, this is, you know, version 2.0 of Life Apps. We did, you know, version 1.0. And we were talking and he said, you know, there's actually an app where you can confess your sins. And I said, you know, the app that would actually outsell that? An app that would repent for you. Wouldn't that be great? Man, I'm struggling with this. Oh, let me get the repentance app there. <laughs> okay, I'm a whole new person. But boy, confession would certainly be easy, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm struggling with this. Oh, here, let me confess. Boom, there. Okay, there. I'm fixed. It's great. But what a great life app that would be. Anytime you're feeling discontent, boom, you just get your phone out. Boom. I'm content right now. 
You know, the fact of the matter is the Bible says it is just that easy. It's just that quick. It's that simple. Use an analogy for uh, anybody gone to co- college. Did you go to college? Raise your hand. Okay, your hand's raised. Keep your hand raised. Don't be embarrassed. Keep your hand raised if you changed your major at least once. Twice. Three times. That's okay. I changed four times. I went from pre-med to pre-dent to econ to chemistry. And now I use it all every day as a minister for 22 and a half years. It's important what you pick as your major. You know, I think they had studies say like 75% of people have a job unrelated to your major. It's all right, but it's good to get a degree. Helps you get a job. That's another sermon. But you change majors. It's like our oldest son, Michael, came to me in April. Dad, you know, I know in mechanical engineering, I know I can get a good job. But I don't love mechanical engineering. And I'd like to change my major. What do you want to do? I love the weather. I want to study meteorology. That's why I transferred schools, because UCSB didn't have a... A meteorology program there. So now he's 4,000 miles away because of that decision. But he's really enjoying his meteorology classes and he's excited about his change. But you know, it's just kind of that simple. You change what your focal point is going to be. I mean, you, you may have walked in here today not feeling all that good about your health. But when you see somebody taken away in an ambulance in the middle of church, you know what you think? I'm glad I'm not in an ambulance. You know, I was sick all last week. I'm not going to get into the details of what I am content with this week. <laughs> you go with very low standards of what it takes to make me happy this week. But all you have to do is be really sick for a week, and everything kind of changes. You're with me on that. You understand what I'm talking about. Your life is in the same situation. You wake up in the morning and there's certain things that we go, I am not content with this. And then something happens and you go, actually, I feel pretty good about that in my life. Yeah, sometimes we just need to change our major. So we've got to change our focal point. We've got to change what we're aiming for. And all of a sudden, what we lack contentment in just fades away. You know, God designed us. He created us. He knows exactly how we're wired. And that's why we need to look uh, to his word to solve our problem. Go, go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read just a few verses out of the Beatitudes. And, and listen to these. I mean, they're all about contentment. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, to be meek is not weak. Meek is like a racehorse. You have incredible strength and power. But you choose to keep it harnessed under control. Jesus was meek. He was powerful. He was mighty. But he could be humble or silent, even in the face of of some pretty mean 
unrighteous people. That's meek. He said, be meek. You'll inherit the earth. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What do we hunger and thirst over? Money, possessions, accomplishment, advancement, promotion. Being famous, being influential. And does that path ever make us content? Just no, hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Everybody wants mercy. It says, be a mercy-giving person, and you will receive mercy. If you hold bitterness and grudges, slander in your heart, you, that's what you're going to receive. And we wake up and we're, we're unsatisfied with, with the lack of connection and relationships. And the Bible says, hey, you be a mercy provider. And your relationships will be just fine. But the problem is we, we focus the other way around. Well, if somebody shows me mercy, then I'll give it. The Bible says, no, it doesn't work that way. If you give it, then you'll receive it. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, sometimes we say, I, I just want to feel more connected to God. And if I do, then I'll be more motivated in my relationship with Him. Then I'll be more motivated in my walk with Him. Then I'll be able to be more sacrificial, more generous, more committed to the meetings of the body. My Bible study or evangelism will be so much better if I just feel you know, closer to God. You know, Jesus says, no, no, no. You've you got to be pure in heart first. Then you'll see God. You see, Jesus knows that we struggle with, with not being content. And we try and achieve it in so many different ways. And Jesus says, oh, here's the answer. No, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Put, put it on this. Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his image. We are unique beings from all, all the mammals that were created because we're the only ones made in His image. Say, but there's, there's something that goes with that. Go over to Ephesians. And we'll start in, in chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <coughs> Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's one component. It says we were created in the image of God for a purpose. To do what? Good works. God's already prepared him in advance. God's works last in eternity. Jesus says, not things that moth and rust can destroy or thieves can steal from you. Things that will last forever. Those are the good works that God created you to accomplish. 
And so sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm discontent. I need to work harder. I need to work 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. I need to get another job. I need to do this. No, and, and you know what the Bible says? No, do the works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That's what you were created for. That's why when Jesus in Mark 1 called the first disciples, what did he tell them? What did he offer? Come. I will make you a fisher of men. Because Jesus knew that that was the path to contentment. You know, if you've ever worked on a project, you know that having the right tool in your hand makes all the difference in the world. I enjoy tinkering on cars. I'm not very good at it. But some of the most frustrating projects are the ones that require a certain tool that is not just a normal wrench. It's got a weird shape to it, and it's the only tool that you can just, you know, get the job done easily. And you can try with other tools, and it just doesn't work right. But if you're discontent this morning and you're working hard, I want you to ask this question. Are you working hard for the things that God created you to do or the things that you created for yourself to do? A little later in the book in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then the beginning of chapter 5, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And the list goes on. Say, what's the point? We're made in His image. We're created to be like God. If we want to be content, we've got to change our major. What's our focal point got to be? What's our area of study got to be? God imitation. God likeness. So you want to to be satisfied every night when your head hits the pillow? Live like God that day. Then whether work goes well or school goes well, or your relationships are exactly where you want them to be, you can still feel great about your day because you are like God. Are you an imitator? You know, the Bible's hard line. This is not even a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. Not a hint of it. Because it messes up your life. It messes up your heart. You know, sometimes we say, I want to live the Christian life, but what we're thinking is, I still want to be able to have a little bit of greed, a little bit of worldliness, a little bit of impurity, a little bit of immorality. I mean, you know, not a lot, because that, it wouldn't be good to have a lot. 
But I want to be able to hold on to a little. You know, trying to hold on to 1% of ungodliness will rob you of being a content man or woman every single time. San Ron, does that mean I got to be perfect to be content? No, your heart has to intend to be perfect to be content. Because a 99% level commitment won't get the job done. I use this analogy all the time. I'm going to use it again. Because Robbie and Angie are getting married next week. And if Robbie told Angie, I will give you 99% of my heart, she would not go, yes! That's so awesome. I'm so happy. 99%? No, that 1% would rob her of, of feeling secure, feeling protected. It was like, what do you mean you're holding back a percent? And the same thing's true in our spiritual life. So, well, what are you holding back from God right now? You know, as soon as we start talking about in those terms, you know what our minds do? We start thinking of other people that we are more committed than. You know, don't we, we do we do this at work? We do this, uh, you know, in school. We don't get the grade we want on a test. Well, at least I didn't get what that guy got. Or we get a bad review. Well, I work harder than this person. Hopefully, my review is better than this person because I'm a much better employee. We compare ourselves all the time. So you know what the comparison is supposed to be? God. Say, are you like God? Are you aiming for Him? Are you aiming for His heart? Are you aiming for His mind? Are you aiming for His lifestyle? Say, if you are, you know what you will be? Content. Because God wired us to be content when we're like Him. And the less like Him we are, the more unhappy we become. And the amazing thing, and you know this to be true, when when you are living like God, you can experience the most, you know, radical, unbelieving dysfunctional day and feel great about your day. And when you're not close to God, you can actually have a a pretty painless day and feel miserable. You say, what's, what's the issue? It's, are we being like God? Are we doing what God wants to do? If God could live your life, would his calendar look the same? Would his values look the same? Does he get your first fruits or does he get your leftovers? When Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, of course he doesn't mean seek only his kingdom and his righteousness. People always go, oh, so I'm just not supposed to work? Are you, is God going to pay my bills? Really? 
you know what? Your snottiness reveals that touching on the Lord of your life and you don't like it. You know, people get touchy about the things that they're protective of. No, we're supposed to work. We're supposed to be responsible. We're supposed to pay our bills. We're not talking about that. But what's your heart? Are we too tired to give God our best? Is there anything stands before it? I want to close over in Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12. Writer Hebrews, you know, they were dealing with the same thing. These were Christians from a Jewish past and they were contemplating going back because they weren't content with their life. And here's the practical advice he gave them. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. First of all, it says, hey, you got a lot of people that have gone through what you're going through and they're encouraging you. They're telling you you can do it. Yesterday I spoke at a, a, a men's Ironman event down in Palos Verdes. And the final event of the day, was this big tractor tires, and they had five guys, and they had to turn the tire over again and again for about, you know, 30 yards. And it was a relay race. And then the fifth guy had to push the tire all the way down the thing, then eat uh, about 15 live crickets, and then grab the tractor tire and lift it up and put it over this post. And then that was the end. And so we were cheering them on. And, and the final competition, you know, they had like two heats and then the two winners went against each other. And it was close and the tires went down and one fell just right before. And all I could think of is, man, that would be so lame to eat crickets and get second. But there are a lot of people cheering them on. You know, sometimes when you're wrestling through things, you can, you can feel alone. Satan wants you to feel unique. No one can understand what I have in front of me. Nobody understands my problems. Nobody understands my life. Nobody has it as bad as I have it. And then you start talking to people and you go, really? Oh. And then you talk to somebody that's got it worse than you have it. And all of a sudden you feel better about your life. You know what, we, we all have been through stuff and we all got people who have gone through worse stuff and they're cheering you on saying, yes, you can do it. So, so what's the writer say? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He's saying change majors. You know, there's two components. We talked about sin. You got to get open about sin. You got to deal with sin. You can't tolerate any of it in your life. Talk to somebody who can help you. Get honest. You know what it will do too? It will make your relationships better. 
Because those are true friendships, the people that, that love you even though they know everything about you. But there's this whole other category. It says, throw off everything that hinders. Those things aren't sinful at all. But they're just things that are hindering your commitment, your relationship with God. They're the things that you go, I can't study the Bible because I'm too busy because this is hindering me. He said, well, you don't understand my job. Maybe not. But I know that God is more important than your job. Change jobs. He said, well, I may make less money. Yeah, you may. But if you go to heaven, it's worth it. You say, but I made a commitment in this hobby area of my life. And I've got to be a man of integrity. It's amazing when we say that. Which means I can flake and have no integrity on God in the name of having integrity in a worldly area. You know what God says? Throw off everything that hinders. Unburden your schedule. You say, well, you know, my kids' activities take up so much of my time. I don't have time. Then put your kids in less activities. Their world will not come to an end if they don't play on three sports teams. Say, I love sports. I'm a big believer in it. I think it builds character. But never at the expense of the godliness and the commitment level of the parents. Say, everything that hinders... If there's something that's just occupying too much of your heart, so you don't have enough to give to God, throw it off. Now the writer of Hebrews just says, stop doing that. Change. Change your schedule. Change your values. Remember the app on the phone, Be Content Now? This is it right here. You're created to be like God. Live like it. You have the ability to make a choice right now that will influence the rest of your life. Say, so will you be honest? Will you push the button? And what's the button? That's the throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If you're going to say yes to push the button, that's what's going to change. You say, well, I want to be content, but I'm not ready to change that. You can't have both. And the choice is yours. And I really pray this morning that the list we read, Eve, Achan, Judas, Esau, the older son, will not contain your name. Will not just add to the list of men and women that have destroyed their faith because they weren't content. But they'll be on the list that says Jesus is Lord. They'll be on the list that bows the knee and confesses Him as Savior. They'll be on the list that seeks first His kingdom. Make the decision today to be content now. You're created in His image. Let's make the changes to live that way. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.